surgery forces you to think about your life and will you pull through and what will it be like on the other side if you do? I heard this story about the doctor who came and told his, his patient, he says, man, I've, I've got some very bad news for you. I've got some bad news and some very bad news. And the patient goes, oh no. Well, give me the bad news first. And the doctor says, the lab called with your test results and you have 24 hours to live. And the patient goes, no way, 24 hours, that's terrible. What could be worse than that? What's the very bad news? And the doctor said, well, I've been trying to call you since yesterday. (laughs) Yeah. It's no fun when they come in and say, I've got some stuff I need to talk with you about. A big surgery forces you to think about how, if this ends, you know, in the next couple weeks or the next year, if this ends, how will my life be measured? So I came across some epitaphs that you might find interesting from gravestones. Here's one that says, Here lies an atheist, all dressed up and nowhere to go. It's like, yeah. And here's another one, girls. This this could be you. She always said her feet were killing her, but but no one believed her. (laughs) And I like this one. Here lies the body of Jonathan Blake. He stepped on the gas instead of the brake. (laughs) And then this last one for our world of technology. This person died for not forwarding that text message on to the next ten people. That could be you. You better do that or it could be you. Hey, uh, I want to ask you just as we move along, what, what do you know about your grandparents? Can you... Can you give like five statements about your grandparents? Like, where were they born? What did they do for a living? Uh, Where did they live? Um, Did they have a relationship with the Lord? Were you fortunate enough in your childhood probably, and maybe some of you even now, to, to know both sets of your grandparents? I mean, I didn't have that privilege and wish I did. The opening chapter of the New Testament is not the most exciting reading. It's a bunch of names. It's the family tree of Jesus. It's traced all the way back to Abraham. Some names you're very familiar with and some are obscure and very hard to pronounce. The names are simply listed in Matthew chapter 1. The details of some of those people are given in the Old Testament. And they all had their turn. They came and went. And now the hand of providence has brought you to take their place, uh, to be alive in this place on June 5, 2022. It's your turn right now. They had their turn. It's your turn now, but not for long. I mean, pretty soon, someone else will probably... Live in your house. Pretty soon, someone else will pick fruit from the trees that you planted. The days aren't long, but the years go by fast, don't they? What will you do with this turn? Your name's on a list. It's your turn right now. What will you do with it? So for the next four Sundays, I want to focus on one person in Jesus' family tree. Uh, 
probably obscure to some of you, unfamiliar to some of you, but he was a king, and uh, he was a contemporary of the prophet Isaiah and the prophet Micah. That may not mean much to you right now, but I hope it will a month from now when you think about their partnership. We don't get a complete biography of anybody in Jesus' family tree, of course. We get little bits of information and sometimes nothing, nothing at all. But when this guy had his turn, he stepped up to the plate and hit a home run. It's pretty cool stuff. His name was Hezekiah. His story is told in 2 Kings chapter 18 through 20, also in 2 Chronicles 29 through 32, also in Isaiah 36 through 39. There's these chunks that tell you about his life and what he did. And guys, he was an engineer. He was a builder. He did some really cool things that we'll get to. But he was a leader of his people in a very hard time because the dominating power of the world in his day was the nation of Assyria. Now you might remember this guy as I try to uncover these facts for you from your Sunday school years. This was the king that prayed that his life wouldn't end and the Lord answered by extending his life for 15 years. Remember that guy? This is the guy. The Lord gave him 15 extra years. I find myself identifying with Hezekiah very much as I stand here this morning because my life has been extended, at least for today. And yours has too. We don't know how long the Lord has chosen for us to go on living, but we have this moment in time. Many in this room have also been given an extension through the miracle of modern medicine. People have done... Uh, medical people have done surgeries on you or given you medicine to extend your life. And here you are today. It's pretty humbling, pretty amazing that we're living on this borrowed time. But what are you going to do with it? Time that you have been given. What are you going to do? Somebody asked why in the world when you're coming back from a seven-week layoff, why would you study the life of an ancient king? What in the... What in the world can you gain from that? But there's this piece of Scripture from Romans chapter 15, verse 4, that explains why we should study people in the past. For everything that was written in the past was written to teach us, so that through the endurance taught in the Scripture and the encouragement they provide, we might have hope. That's a pretty good deal. If you can study and learn from those folks... You get endurance and encouragement and hope. Who doesn't need that? I need that. You do too. So that's why we're jumping in to this study today. An elderly lady stood at a funeral and asked a question to the attending minister. She said, do you know what failure is? He said, no, I don't know what failure is. Please tell me. Please enlighten me. She said, failure is being successful at things that don't matter. He said, I better write that one down. The sobering truth is that one day somebody's going to write our obituary. They might even put a few words on a gravestone. 
What will they say? Will they say, here lies a very successful person? How do you know? What, what, how do we measure success? Nobody wants to be remembered as a failure. But the real measuring stick is in God's hand, isn't it? Uh, upon our death, God might say to some of us, you fool. That's what Jesus said in a story to a man who was, who spent most of his life attaining things, acquiring wealth and things. That's found in Luke chapter 12, verse 20. That's what he thought mattered most in his life. He accumulated stuff. And at the end of his life, the Lord said, you fool. I don't want to be that guy. Yet to others, God will say, according to Jesus, God will say, well done, good and faithful servant. That's in Matthew chapter 25 and a couple other places too. Of course, it it is by God's grace that we've been saved from the penalty of sin. But now that we're trophies of God's grace, what do we do? How do we live? Can you imagine these two words? You have these two choices. I don't know if it's going to actually be like that when you get there, but uh, you fool or, or well done. If the Lord says you fool, all these achievements that you gained in this life won't matter one little bit. Failure is being successful in things that just don't matter. But hearing God say, well done, best words ever, right? Best words ever, well done from God. Um, This series is on the life of Hezekiah. It's about what it takes to live a life that hears the words, well done. What do you have to do to hear those kind of words? And this is personal. Hezekiah was a young king. Uh, The spiritual health of his people was hanging in the balance. They did They depended on their leaders. They kind of followed their leaders. Anyone in leadership bears this uh, huge responsibility of living a life worthy of the Lord because other people are watching and you influence them. So it's your turn. You you get to decide. Your name's on the list. It won't be there very long. Somebody's going to follow you pretty quick. But right now it's your turn. What you going to do? I just want to give you a little bit of the family tree of Hezekiah. His great-grandpa was Uzziah who became king, a teenager, at 16 years old. Can you imagine being king? He ruled for 52 years. He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. Then Hezekiah's grandpa was King Jotham. He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord too. He reigned 16 years. Then along came his dad, Hezekiah's dad, Ahaz. I need to spend a few minutes here. Because he was 20 years old when he became king and he reigned 16 years. Unlike his father David, he did not do what was right in the eyes of the Lord. During Ahaz's reign, uh, the kingdom was attacked by the combined forces of Assyria and Israel from the north. And in one day, the nation of Judah lost 120 thousand soldiers. Why? 
because Judah had forsaken the Lord, the God of their fathers. Now, you remember your shock when you heard the news that ten people lost their lives at the top store in Buffalo? It was stunning. Can you imagine hearing the news that 120,000 soldiers in our army perished in a, in a battle? Stunning. Who has words? While that was going on, the nation of Edom attacked from the southwest and they carried away prisoners, the Bible tells us. And at the same time, from the southeast came the Philistine army and they they just moved in and occupied six towns of Judah. The Lord, the Bible says, the Lord had humbled Judah because of Ahaz. For he promoted wickedness in Judah and had been most unfaithful to the Lord. That was Hezekiah's dad. Godless people don't ask God for help. They, they do everything but ask God for help. You've seen it in the news just recently. They come up with new laws. They talk about mental health. They point fingers. They seldom equate trouble with forsaking the Lord. But the Bible always does that. You want trouble? Forsake the Lord. In typical fashion, Ahaz looked in all the wrong places for help. He he tried to buy the favor of the king of Assyria. He took gold out of the temple of the Lord and out of the palace in Jerusalem to bribe him to come help. Didn't help. Once there was a summit held in Damascus, and Ahaz attended. And while he was there, he saw a strange, odd, attractive altar in the city that impressed him. So he drew a sketch of it, and he sent it back to the priest in Jerusalem and says, I want you guys to make an altar just like this. And, And when he returned... The altar was ready, and they replaced the old altar that God had ordained and put in the temple with this brand new pagan deal. That's in 2 Kings chapter 16. Why did he do that? Why did this king do that? Well, the Bible tells us he did it in deference to the king of Assyria. The New Testament calls this uh, being a man pleaser. You do what's right in the eyes of the people around you. That's what you do. There's a man-pleaser and a God-pleaser. It takes guts to be a God-pleaser. It takes a lot of courage because it's unpopular. People don't like that. They'll make fun of you. But Ahaz was a man-pleaser. He did this in deference to the king of Assyria. He became a puppet to him. So listen to this very troubling couple of paragraphs. I'll just read for you. In his time of trouble, King Ahaz became even more unfaithful to the Lord. He offered sacrifices to the gods of Damascus who had defeated him. For he thought, since the gods of the king of Aram have helped them, I'll sacrifice to them so they can help me. But they were his downfall and the downfall of all Israel. Ahaz gathered together the furnishings from the temple of God and took them away. He shut the doors of the Lord's temple and set up altars at every street corner. In every town in Judah, he built high places to burn sacrifices to other gods and provoked the Lord, the God of his fathers, to anger. 
in the palace, young Hezekiah is watching his dad make one blunder after another. He saw the mistakes of his dad, and you know what he was thinking? Well, I just can't wait to be king. That's what, no, no. He, no he, that song did not originate with him, probably, but uh, I think he thought, someday it's going to be my turn to be king, and how am I going to deal with this? What am I going to do? And you have that same question in front of you. It's your life right now. It's your time right now. What will you do with it? And so here's some scripture from the introduction of his life from the Old Testament, Second Kings. Hezekiah, his son, succeeded him as king. When he was 25 years old, he became king, and he reigned in Jerusalem 29 years. His mother's name was Abijah, daughter of Zechariah. Here's his choice. He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. Simple, isn't it? But not easy. Moms, I want you to know something. Almost every time in the Old Testament when a king is introduced, the name of the mom is often mentioned. You know, we get the son of Ahaz, Hezekiah the son of Ahaz, but often the king's mom is also named. And we hardly ever get... uh, a lot of information about the mom, but you got to wonder about mom Abijah, don't you? Because dad was so ungodly and did what was wrong in the eyes of the Lord, yet the boy turned out to be a godly king. How do you explain it? How did that happen? Um, how did such a faithful son come from such an unfaithful dad? Now Father's Day is coming and we'll have more to say about that. Uh, in a week or so, but you you hear this all the time. Uh, what do you expect of me? Do you know where I came from? If you knew my background, if you knew my parents, you would understand why I act like this. And, of course, we have lots of reasons why we are the way we are. Hezekiah had all those reasons too, didn't he? If you knew my dad, well, you did know my dad. My dad was the king. You know, you saw what he did. Following his footsteps. Nope. Nope. Hezekiah did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. And he's almost like looking at all of us saying, what's your excuse? If I can do it, you can too. Let's go. Let's follow the Lord. I think there were two godly influences in the life of this young man. His mom although I can't prove it. But I do know the Scriptures tell us how the prophets Isaiah and Micah reinforced this young man all the way through. These guys were strong and courageous and unpopular. And this is what happened. You're you're probably going to have to look this up because you won't believe it. It's from Isaiah chapter 20, verse 1 and following. But... uh, Isaiah was, this dude was fearless and crazy and godly and bold. Here's what he did. He was a streaker. It's in the Bible. I'm not making it up. 
he walked around the city naked as a jaybird. Three years. And his message was this. Unless you repent, unless you repent, you're going to be led away just like this to a place where you don't want to go. You better repent. Same message, same guy. Three years, don't get any ideas. Okay, you'll get arrested now. But you talk about a ridiculously effective visual aid. I don't want any part of that. And Hezekiah grew up saying, okay, we're not going to be led away like that. Nope, we're not doing that. We're going to follow the Lord. We're going to repent. We're going to follow the Lord. So from his weak and ungodly father, Hezekiah inherited a mess. His people were spiritually compromised. The economy was under great pressure from the taxes of Assyria. And there was a constant threat of invasion and war. Does that sound familiar to any of you guys? Does a weak economy and a broken foreign policy and threat of war and division sound familiar in 2022? That's why I wanted to look at the life of Hezekiah because what he faced is what you face. In a classic understatement, the International Standard Bible Encyclopedia, which is in our church library, says this, Clearly, from this point of view, a most difficult career was before him. (laughs) No kidding. This guy was up against it. War on every side, divided nation, terrible economy. What are we going to do? 2 Kings 18, verse 5. You can do this, you guys. You can do just what he did. Hezekiah trusted in the Lord, the God of Israel. There was no one like him among all the kings of Judah, either before him or after him. He held fast to the Lord and did not stop following him. He kept the commands the Lord had given Moses. And the Lord was with him. He was successful in whatever he undertook. Now, we hear all the time how people play the blame game. And if you watch the news, which I try not to watch too much of, but it's always somebody else's fault. It's never that guy's fault. It's always somebody else. We blame previous leaders for our current troubles. I remember a song back in the day, Billy Joel's amazing song, We Didn't Start the Fire. Remember that song? It was always burning since the world's been turning. It's not our fault. It's not our generation. We, somebody else's fault. It's, it's like me making this complaint about my house. Okay. We have a fireplace in our house and it's very nice looking, but we don't use it very much because it is ridiculously inefficient. It's cold and drafty, and I blame the previous owner. It's his fault. 
He did not do, do a good job installing it. It's drafty. It's just ridiculous. And it's his fault. And I don't know, you know, I just, and I know what you're thinking, Bowers, haven't you lived in that house for like 25 or 30 years? Yes, what are you saying? Well, it's your turn right now. You live there, fix it, take care of it. Don't blame somebody else. We didn't start the fire, but we can fight the fire, right? We can help put the fire out. So learn from Hezekiah. Right now, it is your turn. Don't wait for somebody else to fix it. What will you do with this opportunity? This is your chance. This is your time to make a difference, to leave your mark. Don't waste your life. How can you live so that you hear the words, well done? Well, the answer comes from the life of Hezekiah and his great-grandpa and his grandpa, at least. Do what's right in the eyes of the Lord. Simple for me to say, hard for you to do on a daily basis, but you can do it. Ahaz did it. I'm sorry, Hezekiah did it. Ahaz, the dad, chose poorly. The outcome was predictable. The Bible tells us that the Lord handed him over to the king of Aram, that's Assyria, who defeated him in battle and took many of his people as prisoners and brought them to Damascus. Somehow, by God's grace, the son chose to do what was right in the eyes of the Lord. So right now, I just straight talk with you as we close this. and um, Joy, I can have you and the team come back up. Uh, I just ask you a question right now. Currently, right now, are you doing what is right in the eyes of the Lord? Simple evaluation question. How are you doing? Where do you stand? Are you doing right in the eyes of the Lord? How, how would you know, you say? Well, there are two ways to know what's right in the eyes of the Lord. First, you're hardwired. The Lord's written His law on your heart. Uh, you're, you're wired to sense guilt when you do wrong. And you're wired to have this unclear conscience, this thing that says, ah, I know right and wrong and I just did wrong. A clear conscience is one way, but even more, God revealed His ways to you through His Scripture, right? Like, for instance, you could just start with the Ten Commandments. Are you doing right in the eyes of the Lord? Pick the Ten Commandments. How are you doing? That's a good little evaluation. Go on from there. Several years ago, John Piper wrote this powerful little book called Don't Waste Your Life. And that's what Ahaz did. It was his turn. He stepped up to the plate. And he struck out. But we'll see in the weeks to come how Hezekiah stepped up to the plate and hit one home run after another. And that's the standard. You're going to be tested. Is it right in the eyes? You know, we, we, we want to be men-pleasers. We want to be popular. We do things to be seen by people. So is it right in the eyes of my friends, we ask? Is it right in the eyes of my dad? Is it is it right in the eyes of my culture? I want to fit with my culture. I don't want to rock the boat. But we some, sometimes say, is it even right in the eyes of the church? Forget all that. Is it right in the eyes of the Lord? That is the standard.
You know that our churches are faced with very huge cultural questions right now. Uh, hard issues come at you. Uh, do you approve of same-sex marriage? Um, do you approve of ordaining scripturally unqualified people into positions of leadership? Do you support fill-in-the-blank? You may not like the answer. But here's the answer. Straight up from my heart to yours. Is it right in the eyes of the Lord? Bottom line. That's what it is. Doing right in the eyes of the Lord will require courage and it will require good allies. So do you want to hear well done from the Lord? Then just do what's right. Here's a couple quick takeaways and I turn it over to the team. Uh, First one, it's your turn right now. Not next month, not tomorrow. Right now. Own it and run with it. And second, you don't have to do this by yourself because the Holy Spirit will help you, right? We're going to talk more about that, but keep in step with the Spirit. He will help you. And third, partner with the right people. You're going to need somebody like Isaiah and Micah in your life. Hope you have them. If you don't, pray and the Lord will bring them to you. And just know, finally, that your life influences many others. And Hezekiah, when he made his decision to do what was right in the eyes of the Lord, he brought a lot of blessing on a lot of other people who followed in his way. So let's make a deal. I just have a deal for you today. Let's just make a deal. How about for the rest of this day, just for the rest of this day, you do what is right in the eyes of the Lord. Just start for a couple hours here. It's going to be dark here in another 10 hours, 12 hours or so. Do what's right in the eyes of the Lord for that much time. See how it goes for it. And every time you're tempted to just get a little... Right in the eyes of the Lord. You're going to need the Holy Spirit to help you do this. And the way you get the Holy Spirit is to repent and be baptized, every one of you, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. If you haven't done that, you could do that today. I invite you to do that today.